Hi, this is Ted Zaleski with Two Sides to the Story podcast. We're ready for Hi. our interview. Wonderful, Ted. Let me transfer you now. Thank you. Thanks so much. Hello? If you think you recognize that voice, yes, that was the John Waters answering a call from Two Sides to the Story. I'm Ted Zaleski, and with me... I'm Lori Hearstetter. So we had an unexpected opportunity a chance to interview John Waters. If you had asked me a year ago, well, the podcast didn't exist a year ago. Six months ago. But if you asked me six months ago, what's your chance of interviewing John Waters? I said, no chance. But here we are. We're going to be interviewing John Waters. Now, he's a bit of a character, and we weren't sure what to expect, but you're going to get to hear. So I agree. Uh, no expectation of what this would go like, how it would be. Um, I guess pleasantly surprised is a good description. Uh, it was it was a lot of fun. He's a very interesting person, and we learned a lot about him as a reader, a writer, and uh, many other things that he is. So what we decided to do, we, we've listened to this back a couple of times, and it's it's a lot to take in in one in one sitting. So we're going to break it up. We're going to do a clip at a time. Um, some of those are three or four minutes, some are eight or 10 or longer, and then uh, take a break in between those and give you some of our thoughts and impressions um, from that part of the interview. So uh, without further ado, here is the John Waters interview. First of all, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule, I imagine, to uh, to talk with us for a few minutes today. We've got it. So uh, we found you on the Carroll Arts Center's website. Um, they do a great job promoting events that are that are coming up. And uh, your show, um, your end of the world tour, was promoted about a month ago, and I saw it pretty quickly, but not quickly enough, because it sold out like overnight. So we, yeah, I think you're going to have a great audience. Um, (laughs) Yeah, and we, uh, we were hoping to attend and miss the opportunity for that. So we're so thrilled that we were able to talk with you. Um, in this way instead i'm sure you're going to have a great show and of particular interest for us is that we do a podcast on reading uh it's all about reading writers libraries bookstores and um, obviously not only as a filmmaker but as an author yourself and as we learned in doing a little research a a major book lover of your own uh, we thought it might be interesting to talk to you about books and their meaning in your life Okay, so, all right. So preparing for this interview, uh, we read six of your books. Uh, I'm not sure I even knew. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm not sure I even knew that you had written books before we, we got to this. But uh, you're writing. Oh, yeah, they're all still in print too, even from the very first one shot there. They're all still in print. Yeah, I, I had no I'm trouble getting them. Oh, wow. The French have been great. Mr. Nordahl was a hit there. So, yeah, it's been, the books have been reaching just as much. You know, it's like I have spoken word shows, I do books, I do movies, just different ways to tell stories. Yeah, so uh, 
I think the reading really took us to a different image of you than probably had uh, be before. And I, Laurie and I were talking, and you know, some words I used were uh, fascinating, thoughtful, and very self-aware. Thank you. Hopefully always with a sense of humor about myself in the beginning, and never self-righteous. Yes, that, that was very clear. Now, for people, other people who might not have read any of your books, uh, I was going to say, if you only read one of, one of the books, I would suggest reading the one you had called Role Models. Uh, well, it, I would probably pick that one, too, because that, that talks about all the influences about what people, when I was young, that I read about. I always got corrupted by going to the library because I would look up things that you weren't supposed to know about. And everybody was like, isn't it nice he's going to the library? But actually, the library corrupted me in the best way. <laughs> and uh, that's why I'm so against any book banning. I think if a, if a kid is, is 15 and he's heard of the Marquis de Sade, let him read it. Uh, because uh, it only makes you smarter and, and connects you to worlds that you maybe had no way to get to. So uh, I, I think that libraries are, are really the best, and I, I don't understand why. Even people should be kind of happy if their books get banned, because now in bookstores, they always have the banned book section right in the front. Yes. That's true. You know, it's great publicity every time I ever have any trouble. I didn't ever have any book trouble, but... Uh, movie trouble I did it just helped the movies you know because, <laughs> yeah it just gave me free publicity so I don't know I don't, you don't tell somebody don't if you want somebody not to read something just never mention it you're right. absolutely right there's no such thing as bad publicity well there is, there is. <laughs> ask, ask Woody Allen <laughs> there is such thing as bad publicity these days but usually that kind of censorship comes from the left not the right the censorship that I was used to. So you mentioned about bookstores and, and the section of banned books. Um, that's something we're very curious to talk to you about. One thing that we do on the show is something we call good book hunting. And whether it's at a library or a local independent bookstore is finding great books. And um, I understand and, and just doing some research about you that Atomic Books has a special place for you. Um, oh, that's my center. I get all my fan mail there. They have all my books. They, they sell a huge amount of books there. So all my work there. This is an amazing bookshop. That's a, that's a complete, you know, kind of center for people to go to. They have a nice little bar in the back. It's a, it's a great place. Also in Baltimore, a great used bookshop is... Um, Normal's books. I go there a lot, too. That's a really good one. And there's a lot of good other new bookshops, too. The Ivy, the Easy... What's the other one called? Shit, I should know this, and I'm going blank. There's a really great uh, art photography bookshop that's here on 29th Street and another really good bookstore across the street. So there's a lot of good bookshops in Baltimore, and it's so encouraging because remember when all the... the uh, all the chains came out and Amazon and everything. They thought all the independent bookstores are going to be the ones that die. Well, the opposite happened. They yes. stayed and the chain bookshops died. There has been a resurgence. We love seeing it. Uh, we're seeing it here in our county. We're definitely seeing it elsewhere. We've expanded our good book hunting to other counties, other states, and uh, the success stories and the creativity people are using to get um, folks to come to what's becoming more of a community center than just yeah, a bookshop. It definitely is, and you also meet other good book people. Yes. Uh, you know, it's, it's great news. I mean, who always said you can get laid if you go to a bookstore? 
Can you tell us the story about? I used to be in the sixties when I the only real job I ever had was a bookshop. I worked ran the Provincetown bookshop for many years when I was young. I worked in the Doubleday bookshop in Baltimore. It was my very first job. So I the only real job I ever had was in a bookshop. Wow. And I could go work and run again. If I had to get a job, that's what I'd do. That's what you would do. Yeah. I, I would say the same. It's it's my definitely my dream retirement job is to work in a book in a bookshop. I, I love the, the environment, um, the atmosphere, it's just hard to beat. And you meet great people. Yes, absolutely. We have such great people that we've met along the way so far. So now you've heard the first part of our interview with John Waters. I want to touch on a couple things that interested us. One, mentioned that we read six of his books, but we've only actually mentioned one of the books, Role Models. And I tell you, it was, it was an unexpected surprise to me that the one I recommended is, if you're going to read one, was also the one that he said he would recommend. So the other books, Carsick. This is a book about him hitchhiking from his home in Baltimore to his home in San Francisco with a lot of crazy stories, both imagined and real. Mr. Know-It-All is exactly what it sounds like. Make Trouble is a college commencement speech that he gave, and his advice is pretty much what the title says. Liar Mouth is a novel. This is John Waters at his most John Waters. Probably not for everybody. And I definitely would not recommend this for you as your first John Waters book. And Crackpot is a bit like Mr. Know-It-All, a little bit of everything from Mr. Waters. So anyone who's been watching our show knows that we would likely ask John Waters about bookstores because it's it's what we do. You know, we good book hunt. And we knew um, by doing some research that Atomic Books meant something to him and was planning to ask him about others. And, and he jumped right in to tell us other bookstores in the area that, that he frequents. Um, and he, he went even further just to understand how he supports local independence, um, the difference between the experience you get at a local indie versus a chain bookstore. That's something we've talked about on the show before. We try to buy local. Um, and then even the banned books conversation, you know, he's clearly someone who thinks you, he wants you to be reading. He thinks you should read and whatever you read, whatever interests you, nothing should be off of the list. In fact, I think it really inspired him in his life is that you know, having access to books at a library at a young age is what introduced him to what is now his, you know, out there lifestyle is that things he never would have seen became available to him because of a library, because of book in a library. That's just, uh, to me, fantastic. Um, the community center piece, I think, was an, another interesting part of our conversation with him um, that he um agrees and and as a person who's very famous and probably has to think twice about walking into any establishment because he's going to get recognized he still chooses to be there because he loves the environment and he likes to meet people so i, I really enjoyed some of the things he had to say there you know another interesting thing about bookstores is he said the only job i've ever had in my life was working in a bookstore and if i had to go get a job I would do that again. So it's kind of interesting. Everything else he's done in his life, and he's done a lot, he doesn't look at as a job. 
But if you had to have a job, a bookstore is the place. Yeah, if you had asked us in going into this interview, if I would walk out of it feeling like John was a kindred spirit, I would have not guessed that. We're very different in the way that we approach our lives, but he wants to work in a bookstore if he has to pick any job. Yeah, me too. <laughs> and uh, that he goes in there to meet people and enjoys that interaction. Yeah, me too. So John and Lori, kindred spirits, who would have thunk it? Anyway, so on to the next segment. So we probably could have set this whole interview up just working off of quotes from you. Hmm. We have a long list that we can't, can't get to, but probably the, the, the first one, the best one, uh, we can't say exactly what you said I for our audience. The answer is that's true. If you go home with somebody, you can't, you know what. <laughs> <laughs> that's the one. And they have books in the bathroom. That's even worse than having no books. <laughs> <laughs> if they have a basket next to the toilet with jokes from the John and right. pretty little books to read on the toilet, that is the lowest brow thing you can ever have in your house. That's uh, worse than having no books. I'll, I'll make sure I keep that in mind. So there's another quote of yours that we thought was really interesting. You said, I don't want to escape when I read. I want to enter another world that disturbs me. Yeah, I, don't, I never understand what people say about books or movies. I want something that makes me feel good. I already feel good. I want something to shake me up. I want something <laughs> to take me into a world that I don't know anything about or that frightens me or, or appalls me or, or lets me into the mind of somebody that I could never understand. So is there a first book that you associate with this idea of being disturbed by something? Probably Tennessee Williams was the first book. But then also Jean Genet and all the books that Grove Press put out in the 60s, I think. Uh, William Burroughs and all, all the beatnik writers and everything. That was the first thing that gave me a taste of it, certainly. Yeah, T Tennessee Williams came up in several of your books. I think in one, yeah. at least one place you said really he's... a good book right now called Follies of God, Tennessee Williams and the Women of the Fog. Mm. Well, right later in Tennessee by James Grissom, and later at the end of Tennessee's life, when he was quite drunk and not in great mental shape, he would just talk about all the great leading ladies, and then they'd go and find the leading ladies, who also sometimes were not in great shape, and they're in their 80s, and talk about Tennessee. It's really a good book. We'll check it out. Yeah, we've made a list already of the things you've mentioned. We definitely appreciate it. Our reading list just keeps growing. So right. one thing I wanted to ask you I'm about... I'm reading a book. I never can imagine not having a book to read. I'm always, as soon as I finish the one, I start the next one. Yeah, the only difficulty is what comes next. Well, I've got so many here to read a pile, but, you know, it's not difficult for me to pick one. <laughs> one thing I really wanted to ask you about, you're so talented, John. You, you're just known for a lot of things, maybe filmmaker first, but... Obviously, you are an artist, uh, you are a actor, you are a comedian, and we're especially interested in your role as a writer. But I'm, I'm, all of them I wrote. A writer would be number one because I wrote all the movies. I've never made a movie I didn't write. I write my spoken word shows, I wrote my books. Even the photography I take you, you read the blessed to write. It's reading an idea. So, writer is what I basically do. That's the only thing I really do. It's it. You predicted the question. I was going to make the reference to the other famous John, John the Baptist. And if you had to put a John the fill in the blank, what would that word be? Is, is it writer? It would be John the Phil's elder. You know, that was a, <laughs> and, and the paper trash. I didn't make that up. William Burroughs called me that, so that was like being anointed from God above. But uh, I think all I'm trying to do is make you laugh and not judge other people and try to think. 
think of things in a different way. And I think that's been done through humor. That's how you change somebody's mind. You don't preach. You don't get on a soapbox. You make them laugh. Then they'll listen. Okay, now you wrote Crackpot decades before Car Sick and Mr. Know-It-All. But I noticed a number of ideas that came up in the older book and in the newer book, the newer books, like things like Art and Diane Linkletter. Uh, yeah. You have a thing about... Well, now even come out about Art and Linkletter is that she wasn't on LSD at all that day. There was none in her system at all. And Nixon and Art Linkletter used it to blame Timothy Leary. Right. She was not on LSD. So, and some other things that... She not... had read the story of O earlier in that day. <laughs> okay. She had. There's this whole book that just came out about Nixon and Leary, and it, it's a good book. It's not a, you know, exploitative book. And, uh, yes, yeah, she had read story of O, but that explains it. Got it. What was that one called? Uh, it's called, I don't know, it's called Nixon, The Most Hated Man in America, I mm. think it's called. Okay. It's about Leary, I think the subtitle is Nixon and Leary, something like that. So some ideas stayed together for you over over decades. How much do you feel like you're the same guy that you were back when you wrote Crackpot? I am the same guy. I mean, I've certainly probably... Yeah, I am the same guy. I mean, my last film was rated at C-17 and had censorship troubles, same like the first one. Uh, the subject matter I choose to write about in Liarmouth is certainly probably the most insane thing I wrote since Pink Flamingos. Yet, even Pink Flamingos has now been picked by the government as a national registry as a great American film, which is staggering, really, because it's actually worse today than it was in 1972. Yeah, you're... Uh, but it's all, it's all fabulous. I was even always the worst, and now they're saying some of the best. That's fine. I just don't want to be in the middle. Yeah, you're Mr. Mainstream now. That's all right, because that's the more devious. Everybody thinks they're an outsider now. But wouldn't you say that <laughs> Trump and Obama would call themselves outsiders? I yeah. want to be an insider, something that I never wanted to be, because now I can screw things up from the inside and it's <laughs> So, more interesting stuff from John Waters. We could probably spend as much time talking now as we did interviewing him about the things he said. Easily. We're just going to touch on a couple a couple things from this last bit. Sounds good. Um, in other episodes, we've talked about the ideas of reading to a this world mm. or to enter into another world. So that's not a new idea. But John Waters saying he wants to enter another world that will disturb him is something we haven't run into before, but very much the guy that he is. Two things that stand out for me. One is about, you know, what are you primarily? And he sees himself first and foremost as a writer. And I hadn't thought about it all, you know, maybe a different creative process I thought might be the case, but he writes a film or he writes a comic monologue or he writes a book. It always starts with writing. So first and foremost, he sees himself a, a writer. And he also said about being a reader that those are like the true primary things for him. So it just, it's cool to hear that. Hadn't thought of it in that way. You know, even, even beyond first and foremost, I think he really said the only thing I am is a writer. It's all writing. Right, exactly. And then the other thing he said, and this is about his approach to life, you know, he's clearly lives it the way that he wants to live it. It's very different than the way other people live it. Um, I don't think he's someone that, that judges others. But if 
if he has an opportunity to influence, the way that he's going to influence is by humor, which I think is a really great way to go at it. And we went into this interview with some quotes in mind, and we've walked away with some new John Waters quotes. So uh, he basically said, you know, you make them laugh and then they will listen. I think that's really cool uh, that you could, you know, have an iron fist about it. You can shake your finger at someone or you can just bring humor to influence in a very different way. So I, I just think that was really great. Uh, on to the next clip. So you said something earlier, John, about, you, you know, you've got no shortage of books and we've read that, that you have thousands and I'm very I curious. probably about 10,000. 10,000. So if you, I know you have more than one home, but um, I'm wondering how do you how do you organize your books? I'm trying to get a visual. Is it bookshelves? Or are they stacked up on the floor? Is they just piles? Because the there's no room in any bookshelf. I keep building bookshelves because there's nowhere left to build them. They're organized. All my fiction, a lot of them the living. Yeah, they're organized to a point. I used to know where everything is. I wouldn't say I'm a hundred percent certain now. I have to search and. I think I know pretty much, but they're all completely cataloged. Every book is in the computer with what edition is, hardback, paperback, if it's like signed, what's signed. So that is, I've been doing that from the very beginning, which is amazing because the cost of hiring someone to do that today for my estate would be a nightmare. Do you ever lend books out or once they're no, yours, they're I saying? No, I keep the cover. No, and I don't borrow a book for you. People seem to like to borrow a book. No, thank you. I'll buy it or I'll keep it, you know. Um, I rarely do. People that work for me can borrow a book, but I always keep the dust jacket here. Mm -hmm. wreck it. I don't want that. Now, I've read that you like the true life crime books. Is that I, a... I do. There's not as many good ones anymore. And now true crime is almost overdone. It's every TV show about it and everything. I did read a good true crime one recently. What was that called? Uh, I know, it was called American C-A-L-I-P-H, The True Story of the Muslim Mystic and the 1977 Siege of Washington, D.C., and I actually went to that trial. That was one of the first trials. So I, and I read a great book called The Curse of the Marquis de Sade, which was about how that scroll that he wrote, 120 Days of Solomon, the history of how that's gone all through the world and been saved and mm. hidden and everything. So there's still good true crime books, but... There's another good one called 70 Times 7, A True Story of Murder and Mercy, which is about somebody forgiving somebody that did a terrible crime in their family. So I taught in prison, and so, yeah, I still do read true crime, yep. Is there a section? But I can't go to the trials anymore because people recognize yeah, right. You can't get unnoticed for sure. I wonder... Uh, you can't be a voyeur. <laughs> is there a section that's the largest? Is there a genre that is the one that just, uh, you can't Probably. get... A Either fiction or, well, no, art books. I have a huge okay. amount of art books, yeah. Um, I have a lot of show business books, too. Mm. Is there a section that doesn't appeal to you? I'm, like, picturing you don't have a lot of children's books, but I could be wrong about that. I have some children's books with ludicrous titles like Let's Play Doctor, Pussy <laughs> <laughs> Willows, My Dad's in Prison. Yes, I do have weird children's books, yes. Weird my children's books. My favorite of all, Slovenly Peter. You know that <laughs> I think we did come across that. Yes, we did. That's interesting. Even with kids' books, you, uh, you have your own special way with them. Absolutely. But even, you know, even the most despised genre, 
is celebrity children's books. Mm. I think. <laughs> I don't have them. So, um, another quote. Well, that's a couple. I do, actually. <laughs> I think that is looked down upon by all people that write children's books. They yeah. hate them the most. Uh. Another quote we really liked. Uh, was wealth is walking into any bookshop and buying any book you want without looking at the price tag. I thought that was really great. Yeah, and I, I guess I have that is I am that rich, and I mean rich, not money wise. Where the real the real definition of rich I wrote in my book, Make Trouble, which is basically you never have to be around assholes. That is the ultimate <laughs> richness you can have, and the ultimate poorness is that you are not curious about human behavior. Mm. People would say they're bored. I don't know how anybody could ever be bored. When you only get so wrong on the surf and there's a billion stories and they're all insane. Yeah, I, people. How could you be bored? I, I agree with you. Uh, I, 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 I struggle. I don't think they're ever bored. So John Waters told us about his library, 10,000 books or so mostly cataloged. Um, but like much of what we've heard from him, not only is his library big, but it's kind of unusual. We were surprised to find out that he thought his two biggest categories were art books and show business books. And Laurie asked, you probably don't have kids' books, right? And he said, oh, well, I do. But he had kind of strange kids' books. Uh, My Father's in Prison, Let's Play Doctor, and Slovenly Peter were three that came up. So he also commented about um, his philosophy, again, on, on wealth, um, being able to buy any book you want without looking at the price tag. I mean, we could all sort of relate to that. I think that it's, uh, it's nice to not have to think about it, the freedom to choose anything you like. But even maybe more interesting for me was his quote about poorness, um, that not being curious about human behavior is as poor as you can get. And he can't understand that. He's a very curious person. He's a very well-read person. And uh, that's how he lives his life and can't imagine um, ever being bored because he's always so curious. So I, I definitely appreciate and enjoy his enthusiasm for life and wanting to uh, learn it fully and explore all sorts of interesting things. The other thing I'll say here is during this section in particular, he gave us a lot of uh, book titles. So something we've always done is include um, important information in the show notes. I can't say we got 100% of them. It was difficult sometimes to research the title that he mentioned and match it up with an author. Um, But where we could, we have created that file of all of the John recommendations. They will be at the uh, show notes um, for this show on any podcast platform that you listen to. So now we're headed into the final clip. It's the longest one. And then we'll have a couple comments for you at the end. So uh, another quote of yours that I thought was interesting, you said, uh, collect books, even if you don't plan on reading them right away. Nothing is more important than an unread library. Okay, now that is a complete misquote. Really? I said nothing is more impotent Uh than an unread library. Oh, wow. And I can't get rid of that quote because it was quoted once and it's online. There's nothing I can do about it. They always bring it up. And no, I, just the opposite is what I was saying. 
I'm almost glad it came up, though, because it's a good um, example of where misinformation gets out there. And we're getting it right from the source. That is not the quote. No, it was impotent, not important. <laughs> so, so we have the opportunity now. We'll, we'll correct this with our millions of, of listeners. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just curious about, you know, the creative process for you because you have multiple ways in which you get to be creative in, in your life. Your process in writing versus filmmaking, it, is it's there all the same? All the same. The when I'm taking up a movie or a book or a show or anything, I write Monday to Friday. I get up at 6, I read all my newspapers, and I write 8 to 11.30 or so every morning, Monday to Friday. That's no matter what. Do you think that's the key for you, is to have that routine? For me, but it doesn't matter yeah. how you write. You just have to do it. It doesn't matter what you write with, how, or any what hour. Some people I know write in the middle of the night, but it's just you find when you can do it best. A routine is important. Mm-hmm. That's the only thing that's important. Now, another... You're going to work. Like everybody else has to get up to work. So do you. Absolutely. Another type of writing, um, I, I didn't do a search to find out how many you've done, but I, I did see you've written a lot of introductions to other people's books. Now, I was wondering what that's like for you. Is, is that a, a fun thing, or does it feel like a yeah, chore? Writing's never fun. It's satisfying, and you're probably as fun as having a drink once. <laughs> <laughs> uh, is it fun? No. It's a huge amount of work. Cause you have to usually read all their books. You, know, you do a lot of research to write an introduction Right, never thought about that. It's a lot of work for little money, usually. So you've got this comedy tour happening very soon, well, happening in our area very soon. What's up next for you? Are there still some things that you haven't tried that are on your list to do? What haven't I tried? I've had two records. I've never sung. Hmm. I've never had a song out. I've never written poetry. I've never written a play. So maybe, I'm not saying I am, but there's always things that you want to try. I tried to dare myself. That's why I hitchhiked across the country by myself. That's why I took LSD again when I was 70 years old. So I'm always thinking up there. So who knows? You know, you say you've never sung, but uh, you do talk a lot about music and other I singers. Do, I've had two records out, and I've had two Grammy nominations for Best Spoken Word. Well, I think the first book we picked up to start researching your work on writing at least was Carsick and that's a reference to music uh the playlist at the end I have a soundtrack yes for every ride that picks me up fiction non-fiction and real yeah that was exciting to do because uh music is the soundtrack to my life certainly and in all my movies I have soundtracks of words and so Yes, I, I think even though the hardest one is Liremount because she hates music because it competes with her. I didn't know a lot of the songs on your soundtrack uh, or your playlist, but there was one I was really pleased to see. Uh, Jody Reynolds, um, she's drawing a blank on the name now. Uh, Endless Sleep. Endless Sleep, yes. Uh, no, I, I do know and like that one. Me, baby, in my endlessly for coming the water and that go out. Yeah, so there was a lot of suicide songs at a time like Tell Laura I Love Her, and a lot of lot of suicide songs, which today they would never have for young people the worst possible, you know, uh, idea you could have. But they were in the 50s and 60s, they were suicide top hits. Yeah, that, that's funny. We were recording an episode uh, just a few days ago, and I was actually talking to somebody about that very idea. Um, 
they came up with the song Teen Angel. And well, I was, that's the most famous one, yeah. Right. And I was talking about you know, all the uh, death songs at, at that little time. The most insane one, I think I wrote about it in one of my books, is Tell. It was a sequel to all of them, and he digs up the body and has sex with <laughs> okay. <laughs> and then you hear the call from it was it was on the radio. And what was it called? It's in one of my books. It was the sequel to Teen Angel, one of those things. And then he digs her up. Oh, don't remember that one. Well, it's in my book. If you just Google Teen Suicide Record about digging up, it'll come up like that. Okay, this it played is- on the radio or something. It was a hit. Wow. This is really off off the wall now, but I'm thinking this is probably a song you, you remember. I think it was called DOA, and the the group was. Blood Rock, maybe. No, what's that? What's that one about? Uh, it's it's I a. Trans Hughes, and that was about car accidents. So. Yeah, it, it, I think it was a car accident, and then the song is the guy kind of realizing how badly hurt he is. Oh God! Well, see, all those kind of they were gimmick songs. There are no more gimmick songs, really. I mean, was there a big hit about COVID? No, there would have been any other decade. Ah, interesting. John, do you think you could share with us a favorite book, or is that just impossible to pick? Well, no, I wrote in one of my books about my five favorite books, and I would be Jane Bowles, uh, oh, Two Serious Ladies. That would be my favorite book. Mm. The funniest, most witty, bizarre book ever. And she only wrote that really one novel, and it was Tennessee Williams' favorite book, too. A lot of people's favorite book. One more quote, if we have time. Um, yeah. And I'm curious if this one is done correctly. But everything has changed, but the process of telling a story has not changed. It's like cavemen sitting around the fire. Somebody's going to tell the story. Somebody is drawing on a wall. You're communicating. There's more to it, but I love that that thought that, you know, we're... Yeah, and all stories are too long. Edit. <laughs> <laughs> Admit There's needless no words. Thing a good comedy that's after 90 minutes long. Uh, if you're young and you make a movie, your first movie, your first book, if somebody says, you should cut that, you should. It's, uh, it's, no one cuts stuff when they first do it because they're too precious. As you go along and you learn, you learn, shorter is better. But that's not always true. I love my struggle and I read all five volumes straight through like a, like a, like a I don't know, like a cheap novel I, uh, at the beach. Uh, I, I love that one book that was a, a thousand pages long that was just one sentence that came out last year. It was, I loved it. But sometimes it's not always true, but, but long can be. I think movies are too, all too long now. Yeah, you were talking about reading. You, you had something that caught me by surprise, but I thought it was really interesting. You were kind of talking about how you know when you're in a good hotel by how easy it is to, to read in your room. Mm. Well, the main thing is the trash can. That's you can tell how classy the hotel is. And I take pictures of them. But, uh, yes, they, most of them have terrible reading because they light it for sex or for romance. I like to read, and uh, it, and the plugs are bad a lot of them. Even if the worst plugs are in the beautiful old hotels, they haven't modernized it yet. But um, for all the plugs you need to recharge and stuff. But you're right, a reading light is really, really important in a hotel. And sometimes I think, Yeah, you talk about taking pictures of the trash cans, and I know you've done unusual things 
creating, taking photos and putting together as a piece of art. Did mm. your hotel trash cans ever turn into something? No, they didn't, but I guess they could. I, uh, you can really tell by a, a trash can if it has a plastic liner in it. It's not a good hotel. The best <laughs> ones are black leather and uh, are very nice, you know. And you need a trash can in every room, not just one. I hate the car we have to step on it in the bathroom. I need a trash can everywhere, in every room where you were staying. So another and it should have, yes, recyclable, and, you know, do that. But uh, hotel rooms also never have pads next to the bed or envelopes in the room that you might use. Another unusual art thing you did I thought was really interesting. You were taking, for years, I think, taking pictures of the stage, stage marks, uh, and then you well, turned that into something. When you're making a movie, the marks that the actors have to hit. Yes, right. I did take pictures of that, yes. They were Yeah, somewhere along the way, um, I read about that, and I was describing it to, to Lori, and she actually remembered that the cover of one book we had read, you know, it had, had those that. on it. Yeah, had the lines. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's the one thing you can't see in a movie that's on every shot. Everything yeah. else you can't see. So I did stills of the one thing you couldn't see. Well, we had a great time talking to you today, John. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule. Yeah, yeah, I think you're going to get a great reception here. All right, thank you so much. Thank you. Have a great afternoon. Bye-bye. Well, we went through a whole lot more than... So that was the last uh, clip, the end of the interview, and, and a couple of things to say in, in this section. I uh, probably should have given you the disclaimer that there are some references to sex and suicide there, but um, it was mild. He was pretty well behaved, I thought. <laughs> um, okay, so on that section, the things that stood out for me is I really liked um, him sharing with us about the things he hasn't done that he's still interested in doing. Um, he very quickly rattled them off. So I think he's given this some thought. And between wanting to, uh, he's never done a song, never written a song, um, never written a play, poetry. and never written poetry. I, I think it's kind of cool that those things could still happen. So um, interestingly enough, he sang us a little piece of a song, didn't he? Yep, he told us he's never sung, and then he did it. And then he sang. Right, right here on Two Sides to the Story. <laughs> And it's actually, we were talking a little bit, he, in um, Karsik, he has a playlist. Yes. And the only song that I knew from it is a song called Endless Sleep that was sung by um, Jody Reynolds. So we, we mentioned that briefly, and then he sang a, a line from, from that. So the other thing he brought up was something that is a, a throwback for me. I remember taking a high school English class with a uh, Professor McHugh, and his favorite thing to say was omit needless words. So I, I'm a chatty person, tend to be a little long on the, on the words sometimes, speaking and written. And uh, that was John's actually advice to people is that, you know, especially when it's your first project, you want to hold on to all of it because you've worked on it's so hard and so long and you can't imagine giving any of it up but as you get more experience uh cut that back <laughs> edit <laughs> so i i need to still do that um learned it in high school still trying to apply it today and now a good reminder from john waters and 
a place we never expected to go with John Waters was talking about hotels and what's right and wrong with <laughs> trash cans and reading lights and found out that he actually takes photographs of hotel trash cans. Again, very John Waters. And honestly, the man could probably write a book on uh, how to run a, a well-done hotel when it comes to a book lover's hotel, because he talked about the read, the lighting is important, that it's not set for that, the trash cans, as you mentioned already, even needing a notepad and envelopes um, to have the essentials available to you, and a trash can in every room. Yes. <laughs> Things we didn't expect to get out of this, as you said. Yeah, so wow, we just interviewed John Waters. That we did. And we never, never expected to have this opportunity, and then we didn't know what to expect once we, we had the opportunity. But it was very interesting, and he's very interesting. Uh, if you would ask me six months ago about John Waters, I probably couldn't have said more than, well, he's that kind of strange filmmaker from Baltimore. <laughs> now, he is still an unusual guy, but I would say now also he, he's a very, very interesting guy, very smart, uh, very self-aware. Uh, he, he knows who he is and, and he, he embraces it. Easy to talk to um, as well. I don't know that I would have expected that. And I, I liked what he had to say. You know, some of his quotes are things I'm tucking away for myself. I think he's, um, he's just a very smart person, as you said, and uh, he has a lot to share. And I was glad to be able to get that opportunity. So we're hoping that there are people out there who knew John Waters and had no idea who Ted and Lori were, who maybe you're going to hear this now and stick around with us for some more episodes in the future. And I think a good lesson in this one is uh, to be open-minded. Um, I never would have thought before getting this opportunity to interview him that I would have enjoyed a book written by John Waters. It just wouldn't have been on my radar. I would have been looking for it. And um, I have to tell you, the Make Trouble one was is a, a great Lori kind of book. So um, that's going to be a topic on another show. Commencement speeches as uh, books is, is one that I think we could do easily and enjoy. Um, and that's just one area that in inspired me from these, uh, this meeting with him. So uh, yeah, be open-minded. You just never know what you're going to learn from somebody, whether it's John Waters or anyone else. And we want to thank Lynn Griffith at the Carroll County Arts Council for making this happen. Absolutely. Uh, John is going to be appearing there with his comic monologue, John Waters, The End of the World. And uh, when Lori saw this come up, another Lori idea, what if we interview John Waters? And I remember my reaction was, in my head was, yeah, right. I, I, what I said was, I think, uh, probably long a shot. long shot. <laughs> but uh, we got in touch and they thought it was a great idea, said, let us see what we can do. And here we are. Yeah, be careful, Lori, with you and your ideas, because they tend to happen. <laughs> Well, thanks so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Uh, look forward to you know, having you dial in again. We are getting more people sending us ideas for the show, uh, sending photos and um, some other ideas that are floating around. So keep them coming. Uh, we're thrilled to take on new thoughts and approach new ways for doing the show. One week we're John Waters, and next week we're hanging out with a bunch of kids for Battle of the Books. So we're open to anything. <laughs> um, so send it our way, and uh, thanks for listening. Enjoy your reading.